Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. Six minutes late, but we are here, and we've got a very special show for you today, which is part of the reason why we're a little late. Technology didn't want to cooperate. We are doing the first ever live show. It is the Power Hour, by the way, because it is Tuesday, April 12th. We're doing the first ever live show from the newly built studios here at Pittsburgh Power, and we were still working on the technology about 30 seconds before the show. So we are up and running. We are here live. We're going to be taking your calls as well. So dial us up, 855-950-3835. All right. So normally I decide who's going to talk first by who's on the board first. So what am I going to do this time? Bruce. Bruce, got to get that mic real close. Those mics are really sensitive, so you got to get them real close. There we go. Everybody's live. We can see everybody. So, Bruce, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. Oh, hold on one second. Try that again. How How is that? There we can go. You Perfect. Hear us? We okay. can. All right. There is a term in the industry. Uh, a lot of guys will say, just throw this engine in or just throw my engine together. And what I say is I'm going to stand back about 10 feet, throw these liners and pistons at this engine, and hope they land in the right place. Then. So I'm saying that because we don't throw engines together. It's a very precise uh, operation to build a diesel engine that's going to run a million miles but we have a 359 Pete in here it came in with a big cam 400 there was some uh, block damage the customer brought in an N14 and when you're going from mechanical to electronic there's a tremendous amount of work and I'm going to turn this over to Ethan because Ethan has the whole list of everything that has to be done to go to. Uh, now, this is an N14 electronic, but we took out a big cam, so we didn't have to change engine mounts, didn't have to change transmission location or anything like that. But wait till you hear this list of what you have to do. Ethan? So, Ethan, I have a question first. Did Bruce warn you about this, or did he just throw you out? He gave me a heads up. Okay, good. That's I took All a picture right. of my mm-hmm. list. Got it. Because um, it started out with a decent-sized whiteboard. Um, I don't know, about four feet in length. We turned it vertical and started writing down all the things we could think of that's going to change between the two. Um, and just off the top there, you, things you don't think of, like coolant level sensors. The mechanical trucks, a lot of them didn't have them, and all, almost all of the new electronic engines have them. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, you've got your, oh, check engine light, stop engine light. The tack and the speedo are completely different, being one, we've got to switch them to digital, and they were analog. So, you know, the tack on, if I remember right, on the big cam is run off the fuel pump. Correct. So that's a little different than the ECM outputting the signal to the dash. Um, So we weren't able to reuse either of those two pieces, so we had to go aftermarket there. Um, Other little things that you don't think about, the cruise control switches, all the safeties involved in that. You need the brake switch, clutch switch, um, vehicle speed sensor for the dash, and then one for the ECM which we just split it into two, so we just used one sensor. 
um, and built a harness. The other part is the actual wiring harness from the ECM to the dash, um, which is interesting because most trucks have a nice little round connector there with about 50 wires in it. Um, the nice part is we can do away with a few wires, but most of them still have to stay. Um, and even like the manual fan switch, you know, may as well put that one in there too. But what we did is we pulled the harness out of the international donor truck, and then we're going to custom shrink it down to be the proper size and make it look factory. Um, that's in the process now. And the one cool little thing that we did new that, uh, a new tool we'll call it that I purchased, it is actually lets you heat shrink wire labels onto the individual wires. So in the future, if someone goes to work on it, all the wires will be labeled to where they go and what they do. Um, for a project like this, there's probably not going to be very many schematics. It's one of those things you're going to figure it out as you go along. Let's see, what else is on that list? Ooh, yes, so we had to build the power harness from the batteries to the ECM. That's a pretty... What about the throttle pedal? Oh, I didn't even think of that one, because there is a big difference. So we actually pulled the throttle pedal out of the International, and we're going to wire that in to it. So we're going to have a 359 Pete with an International throttle. Yes. Interesting. Because the good news is throttles like that, there's two different ones that Cummins used, and it's used among all the trucks. Mm -hmm. So you only get two setups. So that's yeah. nice. Even though it's out of an international, it's yeah. similar to what mm -hmm. we're, we're going to need to find elsewhere. I think you have more in that list, don't you? Well, that's a pretty good comprehension there. Let's see. We mentioned the clutch, brake switch, cruise control, engine brake. The nice part about that is the switch that's in the truck we can actually repurpose and make it electronic compared to the way it was before because it ran through its own circuit and then would I thought, fire. thought I saw something VSV, CSC. VSS, vehicle speed sensor. Okay. So, yeah, we had to add that into it um, so that the ECM and the cruise control will work properly. Mm-hmm. So I have a comment. Go ahead. I'm not sure if Ethan and I didn't get the memo on the dress code or we're the only <laughs> ones that were actually working. Well, look at how nice you two look. What can I say? Pete and I always try we, to be a class act. You see us I, at the Louisville show. So I, I looked like we, I just crawled out we, from we underneath the truck. We believe in what Peter built says, class pays. There you go. Mm -hmm. So I look like I just crawled out from under a truck. Well, we're a motorhome. Maybe. Yeah, well, that is what happened, actually. So, yeah. You know, I, I got a quick story on this. Uh, Kevin's motorhome has some leveling valve issues. And Saturday, he and I were in here, and we had it up on uh, two two-by-eights on each side. And Kevin had told me a story. He said, there, if it loses its air and you're underneath, it will crush you to death. So Kevin and I were underneath there, head to head. Our feet are hanging out the sides. And all of a sudden, we heard the air escaping. And I, and I looked, and I could look between. I could see the wall and the bottom part of the motorhome, and I could see it starting to come down. And it was like instantly we both just shot out from underneath that motorhome because there would have been nobody here to save us. We scrambled. So. Yeah. Yeah, that was my first thought when I got under there and I was playing around with the leveling valve. I thought I was going to adjust it, and I thought, hey, wait a minute. If you adjust this the wrong way and it comes down, because I only had about two inches of space between mm -hmm. your chest and the bottom of the right. frame, 
and in spots it was even lower and i grabbed that leveling valve and started to play with it and i thought ah oh, this isn't a very good idea right. the best way to do it really would be you'd need a pit mm-hmm. so it can the coach can be sitting level on all yeah. four wheels like it should be and you could be in the pit down there to I, I to adjust it i can't help you with that i know we don't have a pit i know we don't have a pit across the street and I wanted to say something else about uh, long-haul detailing across the street. You know, I'm not here in the wintertime, and I came home last Wednesday. And as I looked across the street, it looked like a truck stop parking lot. There are so many trucks over there waiting to be sold. And Jonathan's Botanic also has some used trucks that he sells. And he tries to get Kenworth and Peterbilt's, and they're mostly on consignment. But there's truck dealers from as far as, I think he said one was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, brought him a truck to be detailed for sale. I mean, it's incredible. There must not be very many detailers left in this country. We're running out of mechanics. Maybe we're running out of detailers. We're running out of everything. But yeah. yesterday, I uh, on the show yesterday, I said, if you can't get through on the phone lines, you just want to put a question up on the website, go ahead and do that. And somebody put a tax question up. And I had to really stop and think about it because in the I started doing taxes for owner operators in 1990. Um, I've never had this happen before. So when you buy equipment, sell equipment, you have to calculate the tax ramifications of what happened. But in this industry, almost a hundred percent of the time, whatever you bought the equipment for in the first place, whether you bought it new or used. When you go to sell it later on, you're going to sell it for less than what you bought it for. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that I've never seen it really, I can think of maybe one wow. case. But yesterday, I actually had the guy bought a trailer for $16,000. He'd had it for three years. This is just a dry van, and he sold it for 58000 Well, I had to calculate capital gains, which is something I've never had to do on a truck or trailer before. Well, listen to this one. Kenworth of Pittsburgh, out around Harrisburg, Kenworth of Pennsylvania, out around Harrisburg, has a 389 Pete with 400,000 plus miles on it. And I don't know what year it is, but let's say it's a 99, 98. They're asking 256,000. I keep seeing these numbers. Who is buying this equipment? Because they're going to be in trouble. Well, it could be a company that has to, they build and manufacture and has to deliver their own products. So people like that could possibly be paying for this because the truck doesn't have to make the money. It has to get their products to market. Right. If, If for some reason you have to buy a truck in today's market, it's really risky because here's the other thing that can happen. We're looking at values that have doubled. I mean, that trailer quadrupled. That that has to be an outlier. But let's just say that prices have doubled in one year, roughly, right? Because they weren't like this a year ago. Right. So it happened quick. Well, if it went up that quick, it can go back down that quick. You buy a $200,000 tractor today or a new one at 220 or whatever they're charging for these things. I don't even know. And next year, it's now worth 110. Well, guess what your insurance is going to pay out if something happens to it? Stolen, wrecked, Mm -hmm. lost in a fire, whatever it might be, they will only pay out book value. They don't care what you paid for it. They don't care how much you owe on it. So now, if your truck gets stolen, 
wrecked, whatever, you're out the means of making revenue because you don't have a truck anymore, but you're also probably so upside down you could owe fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars on top of what the insurance gives you. Mm-hmm. How do you even go buy a new truck if you're in that situation? Right. And here's what's worse. Guess if you just decide, okay, I'm going to default on the rest of that loan because I can't afford to pay it off, and you default on $60,000, that now becomes income for taxes. You have to pay tax on that money after you've lost the truck. Insurance didn't pay for it all. You now have to take money out of your pocket, but you're going to be taxed on that as though it were revenue. Our politicians have found ways to get into our pockets. It's a mess. We are the next three or four years in trucking. We're going to be dealing with all of these issues of all of these overpriced trucks and rates dropping and Mm -hmm. fuel prices staying high. I don't know that we've ever seen anything like it. I'm surprised the banks are giving the money for this for trucks. You'd think they'd have someone saying, hey, this isn't a good idea. That's a really good point. I'm surprised they're giving money for these trucks, too, because somebody's going to get lost. You know, it's going to be like the real estate meltdown in 08 and the mortgage crisis in 08. All those loans that should have never been given on prices that houses that were overvalued and the banks end up eating it. The government gets their money because, like I said, you'll, you'll have to pay tax on that money that's forgiven. But I think we're going to have that same kind of financial crisis in trucking over the next couple of years. Wow. Okay. All right. Pete, what do you got today? So I wanted to talk about oil analysis. We went over a couple of times before, and I'd showed you one yep. that was unusual. And some of the questions that we had were they're not filling out the data completely, which doesn't give us a big picture of what could be going on. Yes. Um, I know you guys have already uh, redesigned a form, haven't you, to submit the oil samples? Yes. It needs it. It That form is horrible. I I love Polaris. They're a great lab. Their results are easy to read. They've got great education. Everything about the company except that DM form for submitting oil samples. One, why did they make it so small? Couldn't they give you a little more room to write in there? And then there's a bunch of information. One of the things that I've asked for for years, and I don't know why they won't do it, but I guess they just don't want to redesign that form, the year of the truck. Because I can see that it's a Series 60, but is it a D-Deck 2 or a D-Deck 6? Because it would matter when we're looking at the oil sample. Is it what year of an ISX is it? Because they changed enough over the years that you look at oil samples differently on some of those. So hopefully, now that uh, you guys have OPS and you're doing so many oil samples, maybe you can get Polaris to change that form. Good. Definitely help out us reading for the customer. Yeah. You know, if they don't put that they changed the filter, um, changed the oil, uh, the brand, the weight, uh, we don't get enough information sometimes and we don't get a true reading. The one you brought me the other day and we were both looking at and it, it, it wasn't making a whole lot of sense and then... Because some numbers had gone down, that the, oil the very had last been changed, yes. but on the very last sample, a lot of the levels had gone down. And we were looking at it thinking, well, maybe he changed the oil and didn't even bother to indicate that. But I don't think so, because the mileage indicated that the oil had been in there like 200,000 200, miles, I think. Miles, yeah. What was missing, though, 
was there was no indication that he had ever put in makeup oil. So we have no, we know he put in makeup oil in 200,000 miles, but we don't know how much. If on the last sample he put in two or three gallons, that would dilute all of those readings enough that they would come down. But if you don't fill out all the information, we can't see that. And they don't get a true reading on what could be going on. Right. Or we have to chase them down and ask all the questions. And um, so I get it. The form sucks, but fill out everything you're supposed to fill out there the engine make the oil brand the weight of the oil how much makeup oil you've put in all of those miles on the the engine miles on the oil yes very critical yeah now miles on the engine let's cover that that one confuses people um it's either miles since new or miles since a rebuild so if you've done a rebuild that starts those miles over at zero miles on the oil should just be from the last time you changed the oil. And when you do a rebuild, we've been saying for 45 years, around 1,000 miles, if you have to go 2,000 miles for the first drain, get the break-in oil out of there. It's the rings don't break in. It's the liners that break in. The crosshatch wears into the rings. The rings are chrome. And you want to get that out of there. And then I tell people the second oil drain should be in about another 8,000 miles. And then you're going up at the 15, 25, or 50, whatever you're going to change. But those first two oil drains are very critical. And that's a good point because if you go 10 or 15,000 miles on that first and a lot of people do I know, I, in fact do. that's the most common I'm, I'm sure of it I, I would venture to say that 95% if I had to pick a number mm-hmm. 95% of the trucks that get an in frame put oil in and run it to their normal drain 10, 15, 20, 25,000 right. miles whatever it is the other thing we see Pete you see this that oil sample is worthless Yes, you might as well not even sample it don't even look at it because we can tell nothing it is so messed up which is why we want to get it out of there that's right it's loaded with silicon but is that true dirt or is it dirt plus some of the chemicals you were using in the in-frame it's it's both but how do you know which mm-hmm. one right keep in mind when you're cutting upper counter bores there are shavings and we wash and wash and rewash to get all those shavings out of the block and from around the crankshaft and your shop is clean and you work clean, but I've been in lots of shops that aren't clean at all. And you know when they're doing in frames, they're putting that thing back together and there's dirt everywhere. Right. Just get it out of there. Even the assembly loops, like for the head bolts, yep. you know, on NTCs and 14s, we use copper anti-seize. You're not going to wipe all that off. Right. It's going to show copper. Yeah. Detroit uses their, their compound and it's going to show up as something foreign. Yeah, I had a good example of this the other day. Somebody was at uh, like 26,000 miles after an in-frame, and my first question was, how many oil changes have you done? And they said, we haven't changed it yet. And that sample, the silicon was like 32, and there were wear metals already. Well, we don't know. Were the wear metals there because it's the in-frame and there's just contaminants, or... Is there enough dirt in there that they're already getting wear metals? The wear metals are the crosshatch on the liners breaking into the rings. That's part of it, right. Mm-hmm. Um, we shouldn't see any lead at that point, but I was already seeing lead. 
So that makes me believe that that oil was contaminated enough we were already doing damage. Right. Pete, would you grab that gallon of max mileage and explain to people what the extra cap is for? Okay, so when you buy it from us, it's going to have two caps. The white cap's for shipping, and there's a uh, foil seal on there to help prevent it from leaking. Uh, Once you take that off, after the first use, there's another cap that we have stuck on here with some sticky stuff. And we want you to use this cap once you get the max mileage. Also explain to them what this is. So on here, we have the amount of catalyst you should use. And it's broke down by the gallons. And it's critical you use the correct amount. Um, You you really want to add what you're supposed to. So if you put it in 100 gallons, you really need to add 4 ounces each time you fill up. Or whatever it might be. And we also have bottles that we know are going to Canada are done in kilometers and liters. So I have a question. Sticky stuff, is that a technical term? (laughs) (laughs) It's a patented name, (laughs) sticky stuff. Also, it's amazing how many people don't look at the back to get the mixing chart. They they call us, and what's the dilution rate? And if you're putting it in gasoline, it's it is still one ounce to twenty five gallon. But most cars don't you don't buy twenty five gallons. So now we go down to milliliters or cc's, and it's one cc or one milliliter per gallon. Like in a Harley Davidson, your first time would be six cc's if it's a six gallon tank. Then after that, like I usually buy three and a half or four gallons, so I put in four cc's. Um, Something else I want to say. Oh, all liquids. I even used to shake milk, and milk is homogenized, so everything's supposed to stay together. But as this sits, you can get some settle it, some things settling in it. So I just automatically grab it and shake it before I pour it out. So in case anybody's wondering why we're talking about things as though they can see them, uh, some people can see them. We're also live streaming on Facebook right now, so um, that's why if it sounds like, well, what are they talking about? Oh, we can't right. see that's what they're right. So if you're listening on the radio, I, I think you could follow along. It wasn't that complicated, but uh, if you go to the Pittsburgh Power Facebook page, we are live streaming the first part of the show here. We might live stream the whole thing, but you probably won't be able to hear the callers. I didn't have time to get the audio set up right. Okay. All right. Anything else anybody wants to throw out? I I do want to say when we do a remote tune, everybody expects instantly they're going to gain fuel mileage. And when you take somebody with a bone stock truck and now you just gave them an extra three or four hundred foot pound of torque, you use a lot less throttle. You're going to have to look at that turbo boost gauge. If you don't have a boost gauge, chances of gaining fuel mileage are pretty slim until you get used to it. And Ethan, would you say it takes two weeks? Oh, at least. Um, my favorite question is how much fun were you having? And then when yeah. they you know, start yeah. laughing a little bit and I'm like, ooh, too much fun. Yeah. So I have a recent story about this. Okay. So you just gave me all kinds of horsepower and <laughs> torque, and we freed up a lot of things, so it's running much better. And the first thing I noticed when I drove the coach was I was speeding everywhere, like out of the parking lot even. And, and for you, that's I, really strange. I drive easy oh. everywhere, and I drive slow. I was running up on cars at intersections, like having to brake hard. 
I was braking hard coming up to stop signs or out of parking lots. And I'm like, was I used to pushing that hard on this throttle? And I was. But then there was another part. Your, the minivan that you use here, mm-hmm. I think I... Uh, I think I accused Ethan of, of tuning the ECM on it because every time I took off, I was squealing tires. And in our minivan. In the minivan. And think about that. At, That's what we use to haul drivers to and from the hotel, and you're burning rubber with it. I was. And now when I drive it, and I thought, this has got the most sensitive throttle I've ever seen. Why am I doing this? That's why I thought he turned it up. But I've been driving it the last couple of days. I don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I, I must have been that you, and I've been in the coach for six months, so that's all I've been driving. Right. Or six months, six weeks. It just feels like six months. So I, I think I was just so used to pushing that hard on the throttle. Right. So there is an adjustment period of getting used to it, looking at the turbo boost gauge, and realizing how free the truck is now running and how effortless it'll run over the rolling hills without gouging on the throttle. And there's nothing wrong with having a little fun for the first oh, week no, or two. No, that's okay. No, no, you just, yeah. Even even I don't care if it's two years later. Well, you, there you go. You see a set of rolling hills and you want to charge into them. I mean, it feels good. You and I talked one time. I had mentioned that a great running diesel engine in a truck releases a lot of adrenaline in the body. And you said, oh, it's more than that. It's dopamine. All kinds of things. And, and it was the other one, endomorphines. Uh, endorphins. 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 And you told me the three of them together are more powerful than cocaine. Yes. So people always said we were a junkie for horsepower. There's truth. And so I sometimes look back on life after doing this for 45 years and wonder why we have so many people into their 80s still driving their high-performance trucks. Because the only way you can get that fix... That's it. Is to take a load up a hill. It's like it's like a runner's high, but yeah. we don't have to sweat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I mean, I I felt it in my Kenworth. I feel it in my uh, Dodge Cummins pickups. Yeah. So. Yeah. Especially the old twelve valve. I mean, when we had them set up, but you just roll into it and you just feel the truck torque up and go. And. All right. So. Uh, Anybody else have anything? Should we take some calls? Let's take some calls. All right. So uh, we had a bunch of calls on the line. I think they got tired of us talking the whole time. But uh, that means there are lines open right now, 855-950-3835. We're doing at least an hour today, or we'll stay as long as there are calls. How about that? So start getting the calls in here and we'll stay and we'll answer them uh i may check the website truckingtribe.com if you want to post some questions there as well we're going to get started today in virginia charlie welcome to the program good morning gentlemen how are you good what's on your mind today okay i sent an oil sample in uh i'm a little concerned about the tin and the oxidation. Let me get to it and take a look. Uh, the tin, I would not worry about. It's I know they flag it because typically we don't see much tin at all. But when you see that number three there, that means three parts per million. 
So for every million parts of oil, there's three parts of tin. Nothing to worry about. I've seen new oil have that much tin in it sometimes. Um, the bigger okay. the bigger issue I'm wondering about is actually your last sample. Did we ever review that one? The what? The last sample, the one you did in December of last year. Did you ever call? Did we review that sample? Yeah, we did, and uh, the sample that I just pulled has new rod and main bearings in it. Okay. I sent the pictures of the bearings to Bruce, and he said that the bearings look good, but to me, I'm lucky I got them when I did, because they did have to polish the number five main journal. So the the lead on that last sample was 67. That's what I was concerned about. It had been climbing. It was 25. Then it was 67. Yeah. So that, that does mean we were... I was advised by your show to change the rods and mains. And that's why I was concerned about the 10 being up there because I just changed the rods and mains. Okay, so... Right now, we're showing uh, like just over a million on the truck. Is that right? Yeah, just okay. over a million miles since the initial rebuild. And that was, uh, I think, 15,000 on that oil, which I'm listening to you today. I think I went too long from having the main and rod berries put in. So it's kind of interesting. Bruce, I've never thought about this. If if we just change bearings, um, would you still recommend that same quick oil drain? And one of the things mm. I'm looking at here, it you know what I can if you send me an oil sample and you don't tell me you did an in frame, I can usually figure it out anyway. The the oil samples that goofy looking that you can usually tell. This one isn't though. I mean our silicon's at uh, silicon's at five, yeah, that's which great. is fine. Um, it's possible that tin, sir. There isn't any tin down there in the bottom end, is there? Though shouldn't be. Mm-mm. So that I that number is so low, it doesn't matter. Um, I think you are fine going fifteen thousand because this is a clean looking sample. The only other thing I am a little concerned okay, now about. Okay, still. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I still got that same oil in here. When. About twenty-three thousand miles on that oil. Hey, I didn't change the oil. I just pulled the sample and changed the bypass filter. Hey, you know what I think? Being they had to polish that journal, and you have to use crocus cloth or, or you know, like an eighty grit, and work your way up to two twenty. Okay. And there is a hole in that crankshaft that feeds oil to that main bearing. I think that. Uh, Three, four, or five thousand miles after a set of rod and main bearings, you should change the oil and filters. Okay, Charlie, I would get that oil out of there today. Okay. So the other thing, All right, I, I'll do that. I, I did just notice something else here as I'm looking at this. Um, it says that it's fifteen forty. Is that correct? It's fifteen forty, and the bottle. And I don't know who makes it for them, but it's the Detroit diesel oil that they use now. 
and I've actually seen the model setting a Freightliner that says Detroit Diesel. I don't know. So I'm going back with the Mobile Delta. 1540. Yeah, so let's see what happens. I'm a little concerned because a 1540, the viscosity should be between 14 and 15, and you're at 12.7. Are you sure it wasn't a 30 weight? No, it was a 1540. I made sure of that. Okay, something that's when odd I, then. Because I, I know, and like I say, I don't. I can't seem to find out who, what company makes that oil and puts their name on it. Because I don't think Detroit Diesel refines their own oil. No, I think they, they have someone make it for them, and I don't know who. Well, and it, it, that's real common in all kinds of things. I, I think there are probably 37 brands of coolant on the market, but there's only four companies in the U.S. that make coolant. So they market it under all kinds yes. of different names. And I'm not I'm not worried about that. Um it absolutely meets the API classifications, and that's all we really care about. But that viscosity is kind of concerning. So when you go back to your other oil, we'll take a look, see what happens to viscosity. There's something else in this engine um, we may want to take a look at. The last two samples have been pretty heavily oxidized, 25 and 20. To be at 26 yeah. oxidation when we've only got 15,000 miles on the oil um tells me that something's getting hot are you you running is anything running hot coolant oil temp anything no okay so uh, the oil temp i don't have a gauge for but the coolant unless i'm pulling a hill generally stays at about 180 185 yes yeah, sometimes we get not checking for Every now and then with the scan gauge, which gives me a better reading than the mechanical gauge. Okay. Sometimes we get engines that just get hot spots, um, and the oil gets exposed to a hot temperature for a short period of time, and it oxidizes. But this is a fairly recent problem, and it's climbing. Uh, the last sample, you had 34,000, or was that 40,000? And it had climbed up to 25, and now with just, oh, wait a minute. Did you do a really short oil drain back there somewhere last October? Did you do an oil drain? Oh, no, it's got 23,000 miles on it. Okay. So now all of a sudden, we're all the way up to 26 on oxidation with only 15,000 miles on the oil. So we're going to want to watch that on the next sample, too. What, is your air compressor, okay. Charlie? Okay. Is your air compressor running a lot? Yes. Oh, that'll do it. Good point, yeah. Pete. Yep, uh, no, oh. I don't think it is. You might want to pay attention to that more because that can do it. That the compressor itself will get hot from running so often, and that's enough to uh, oxidize the oil. This is a this is a fourteen liter. Okay. What year is it? Oh, seven. Okay. Do we know of anything else on those that would cause something to be hot? I don't think so. Okay. No. Let's wait until we see the next sample on that one and see what we've got. Charlie, anything okay, else? Okay, I'll, I'll get this. Uh, why all of a sudden when I change the rod to maize, did the soot drop? 
Did you notice how much my soot dropped? Now let me go back and look hmm. at that. Ah, uh, it did. Huh. All right, there were so many other things we were looking at. So we, we've got actually a fairly long history of high soot on this engine, which isn't all that unusual for a 14-liter. They were kind of dirty. Um, but we had a high way back in, uh, well, about a year ago. It was 2.6. Then it came down to 2.2. Then it came down to 1.2. And it jumped up to 1.6, but that was a long drain. You had 40,000 on that oil, and now we're at 0.7. Did they set the overhead while you were in there? No. No? The only thing that they did was put rods and mains in it. Anything change with your air filter? No. No? Boost leak? I've not not cleaned it up yet or changed it, but i got to get my wraps cleaned up as soon as I can get to a place where I can do it. Well, the the fact that the soot is coming down is a really good thing, but I'm not sure we understand why, which is kind of odd. Yeah. Yeah. And even the iron on this one is low. Because I basically use the catalyst. When did you start using the catalyst? My iron was way down. When did you start using the catalyst? Oh, about two years ago. Well, that may be why your soot's been coming down for a year. I started using the catalyst in 2019, I think it was, the first time I took it out to Pittsburgh Tower. So you're I started at, using the catalyst. So you would have been around six or seven hundred thousand miles, probably then, right? Uh it was just over a million. Well, wait a I've minute. been using the catalyst for probably six, six or seven hundred thousand miles. I was just over a million when I took it out there, like a million two eighty. Well, wait a minute. You're show- I, on the actual truck. You're showing a million one now. How does that make sense? Because I had it rebuilt at 800,000, so I restarted my counting. Well, then you can't because, be... Because uh, I had a complete end frame done. I'm a little confused. You, Based on this sample, you're telling me that you've put a million miles on it since you did the end frame. Doing an end frame starts your, your number at yes. zero again. Yes, it started at, at zero. Right now, this motor has a million eight twenty-seven nine seventy-eight. Is actually what's on the motor from the factory Got from it. day one. Okay, so and it's never been, it's never had an out of frame done yet. Don't ask me why, but it hasn't. So I'll go back to what I was saying before. I think then you started the catalyst when you had high mileage on the in frame. And the 14-liter is a pretty yes. dirty engine. Okay, that makes sense now. The 14-liter is a dirty engine. By the time you get that many miles on it, you've probably got a lot of gunk. And the catalyst, that's why we see the soot coming down slowly over time. It's cleaning up that engine, and you're getting a better burn. Interesting. Okay, yes. I mean, the EGR valve, when I took it off to replace it, you could stick your finger inside and pull it out, and it was not black. Yeah, that that's, there was no soot in the ETR valve. That's the only explanation for why the soot's been coming down. 
Okay. Bruce, anything? Anybody? I just wanted Other than to, that? I just want to say, Charlie, that was a nice picture of you a couple months ago. You were dressed up with a white shirt and a nice vest on and a new cowboy hat, and you looked oh, good. Oh, yeah, that... Uh, you won't see that very often. We had a <laughs> memorial service for my baby brother. Oh, okay. But I had to dress appropriately. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, thank yeah. you for the compliment, Bruce. You're welcome. Anything else we can help you with? No, I think you've helped me plenty today. So. And I'll get this oil out of here and and 15,000 miles. I'll resample it and get yeah, send it over, and, and uh, we'll take a look at it. I think that next sample is probably going to tell us a few things. Let's head off to Illinois. Tony, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Glad to have you back going again. Well, great to have uh, you here. I'm looking, to, I'm looking to purchase my first truck, and I, I've got one. Tony? And I wanted to kind of go over the specs. Yeah, can you hear but, me? Yeah, I can. But before you go over any kind of specs, just tell me the year, the make, the model, and the price. Don't tell me anything else. Okay. It's a 03 Century and 35. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it, when we're on the bottom end of the price, it's not so bad. Two years ago, that would have been a... Uh, $15,000 truck. Just so you know. I mean, you are probably paying yeah. at least double what that truck was just worth recently. That, a little bit more about the truck. It was a convo, convoy of Hope truck. It only has 588,209 miles. Ooh, okay. Now we're talking. Now that's not so bad. Yeah, and, um, one other thing, and, though. You're, you're and not, I'm paying cash. And I'm paying cash, so I'm not going to have a payment. That was going to be my next question. You're not stretching to buy this and financing a bunch because that could put you in a rough position. If you're paying cash, I think this is a great truck so far, so let's go over the specs. Okay, it has the uh, 14-liter Detroit. It's a 10-speed. It's the... uh, What year was it? I thought it was an 03. It's an 03. First year for EGR. 14 liter EGR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, two is whenever they uh, came out with the 14 liter non EGR. So, okay. Yeah, he would be a 14 liter EGR. With EGR. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Need four at that. Yeah. They, they, they also have an O2 with a 12.7, but, but that truck is a lot rougher than this one. Okay. Well, we like this uh, low mileage, so. Yes. Uh, it's got the, the, the 10 speed, it's the FRO 15 210C. Say that again. Which transmission? Know. It's a yeah. It's a it's a Eaton ten speed FRO. Okay. Fifteen two ten C. Okay, so that's just a ten speed overdrive. Ninth is going to be direct, okay. and tenth will be point seven four roughly. Okay, and it has the three fifty five ratio. Pretty common. That's what we'd expect to see. Mm-hmm. Kind of middle of the road, yeah. decent decent gear ratio for that. So, uh, you know, for a clean, low-mileage truck, that's uh, that's probably kind of hard to pass up. What speed do you, what what I mean, you want to drive it? 
I'm going to drive it at the optimal speed for fuel mileage, whatever we determine that that's going to be when I start putting the truck in operation. Okay. So it have a turbo boost gauge in it? I have not seen the truck in person yet. I'm going to do an inspection on it tomorrow. Okay. Uh, all I've done so far is uh, I talked to the dealer and I've done a rig dig on it. Okay. And like I say, I'm scheduled to go look at it tomorrow. Turbo boost gauge kit's $102 or somewhere around there. Very easy gauge to install. Um, if you put that in there, I can really help you drive it for fuel mileage. So, uh, okay. Well, so, by, by looking at the pictures, which when I blew it up, it kind of blurs it. Unlike a lot of centuries, it just had a very minimal amount of gauges and a big plain dash. It, it's got a full complement of gauges, but I couldn't pick them out exactly what they were. So are you buying it from a dealer? I am. Okay. Here's one of the things that, that I would negotiate. You, you're not going to get very far negotiating on price today. I mean, you can certainly try, but it's easier to negotiate other things. <laughs> this this truck yeah. right now needs... Uh, Pete, what would it cost to uh, change all the fluids, transmission, and differential, typically? I would say, and oil as well, you're probably going to have 700 750 Okay, so it needs it. It should be done at 500,000 miles. I can promise that the last owner didn't do it if they know they were getting rid of, rid of it. So I would negotiate. Does the yeah. dealer have a shop? They do. It, it, it's a Kenworth dealer. Okay. I would negotiate that, that as part of the sale price. Tell them you want the all the fluids changed because it's time, and they can do it a whole lot cheaper. It's not like they're giving you $700 off the price because it doesn't cost them 700 to do it, but you get $700 worth I of might, value. I might be able to negotiate a discount on getting it done. But I'm at the point on the on the negotiations that they have said at this price, if you find anything wrong, we can't fix it. You know, we. But I mean, I've got them down. The, they started out at forty-five, got them down to forty, and then oh, I'm good. down to thirty-five. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah. Said, ask if they'll do it at, at this cost. Point, if you find something wrong, you know, if you want it, you can fix it. You know. Yeah, ask them if they'll do it at cost. A lot of times they'll do that. They're not making any money. They're not losing any money. It's not a big deal for them. Um, Bruce, with 500,000 miles on a EGR, what else should he be doing? I would bring it to a place that does a diesel force cleaning and then get it on a diet of Max Mileage Fuelborne Catalyst. You're, you're, you're buying this okay. truck at a really good time, too, right around that time. Uh, damper. Probably, right? The torsional damper and yep. balancer on the front of the crank. And I was also, people overlook this, but it's a hydraulic system. It's the power steering system. And the number one failure of hydraulic systems is dirt. And you know it's got the original power steering fluid in it. I would flush. BG, yeah. BG lubricants make a flush system. And I know they make it for cars. I don't know if they make it for trucks but I I would flush it. Speaking of which, we just replaced that hose on mine last night, <laughs> and I was still working on it at uh, I was still working on it at eight thirty because after dumping three and a half gallons of automatic transmission fluid in, it hadn't even touched the stick yet, and I had to run back to the parts store before they closed at nine and came back and put two more gallons in, and it's on the bottom of the stick mm. at five and a half gallons. Wow. So, yeah. Um, 
So it, it, I'm I, glad you mentioned it. Go ahead. I'm glad you mentioned the power steering because I had already planned on it. Because I listened to Kevin a lot. Five hundred thousand. Good. Yeah, I was going to do the disc, the trans, yep. the, the coolant. I'm going to check all the hoses, belts, anything rubber that remotely looks like it needs to be replaced. Because I'm I'm probably sixty to ninety days out before I put it in service. Yeah, excellent. Mind at a time where I can I can do some things before I. Sounds like uh, sounds like you've got this under control. I think you found a great truck. You negotiated a, a good price in today's market, and uh, you're picking it up at a great time to get it. I mean, a lot of those early EGR problems that might have shown up are probably gone. Tell you what I used to always do on used vehicles is I would take the starter and the alternator and take them to a good alternator starter shop and have them rebuild them and put new brushes and bearings in how often do you guys see starters failing yeah not often at all not very still a half a million though (laughs) yeah and i would also change the front hub oil and i'd put the lucas hub oil in there there you go alternators have have obviously gotten a lot better over the years too i used to carry an alternator with me they'd go out so often some people still do yeah i haven't had one go out in a long time he should probably get an overhead setting yeah, as well. There you go. Yeah. Probably wasn't good, set. Good point. Not terribly expensive. And uh, I would probably do your first oil sample at 15000 He can't do it now because I'm sure they've okay. changed the oil. They always do. But 15000 is enough to, to help us catch anything that, you know, you could be buying a truck that's got all kinds of fuel dilution and you just don't know it. And there's no way to know it because they've, they've changed the oil. So 15000 would be a I'm good hoping, time. I'm hoping they haven't because the, the salesman told me the only thing they've done so far is they, they've done the, done the DOT inspection on, on the chain. He said they, he said they haven't serviced the truck, haven't done anything to it. Then, so I'm hoping it's still got the old oil because I want to sample everything, the diffs, trans, and well, just just in case, I'm going to hang up on you now so you can call them right away and tell them not to change that oil. That It's a big deal. It really is. If you can, get, if you yeah, can catch is. them before they change it or if they're even thinking about it, I would as soon as you get off the phone with us, I would call them and say, don't change that oil until I can get a sample. Okay. Well, I had discussed with the salesman, and he said it hasn't been uh, served out. He said the only thing they've done was just the, the uh, yeah. inspection, Make, you know, that it was uh, safe. Make sure they don't. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thanks for the information. You're uh-huh. welcome. Thanks for the call. We are off to California this time. Ray, welcome to the program. Yeah, the gentleman earlier was talking about wanting to know who made uh, the Detroit oil, and that is Mobile. He would go back to the same oil. Mobile makes Detroit and Cat oil. Okay. Interesting. So uh, it'll be yeah. kind of interesting to see what happened with that viscosity. You know, sometimes you get some of those off-brand oils, they meet the APIs, but they're not always um, quite the same. But that should be the exact same oil as mobile then. Yeah, it is. It just depends what, you know, detergent. That's what they're having a hard time down at mobile getting is uh, the detergent to mix it. So, but are real short but that's who makes it i haul it twice a week so i have all three products on my trailer every week got it so we got uh we got the inside scoop today then yep 
just left mobile an hour ago. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, we'll keep an eye on that next Thanks, sample guys. and see what happens. Thank you for the information. I appreciate it. Yep. Let's go yep. to uh, Michigan. Brad, welcome to the program. And, uh, Ethan, it looks like you're going to be up for this one. Brad? Yes. How's it going? Good. What's on your mind today? Uh, I've got a 2019 Kenwire P680 with the X15 efficiency series engine and I was wondering what I could expect if I got a tune on it. Yeah, so the efficiency series has the lower horsepower. There's a different turbocharger on it, a little bit smaller than the performance series. So, but most people are pretty happy when you get it up to about the 550 to 580 range. Um, the 580 is pretty doable there. And safe, good, usable horsepower uh, where you're not going to run into any issues. The bigger part is you're going to pick up about 350 foot-pounds. So, you know, a lot of those engines were rated at about 1850, depending on the setting and who had it last. Um, but 1850 was the high, and you can expect right around the 2150, 2200. That's strong. Um, yeah, 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 and you know you can even go a little more if you choose to, but that's a pretty good starting point for most people. So I have a question. I wonder if anybody's ever really looked at this. These efficiency models. Now, some of them I know, like uh, Freightliner added some extra aerodynamics and some other things that would certainly improve fuel economy. Has anybody ever really proven that this engine setup gets better fuel economy? I think it's pretty much the same. I, kind of what I'm wondering, uh, if there's any real difference when they call it efficiency, put a smaller turbo but, on it, turn the horsepower uh, down, are we really getting better fuel economy? Yeah, there's a few other little parts, but it's more just a lower horsepower, high torque version uh, yeah. um, compared to the 600 horsepower from the, the performance series. Yeah, so we don't run into issues with that smaller turbo? Well, that's where you're going to limit the upper end horsepower. It, it just won't okay. keep up with airflow. Let's, um, let's go way back in time. Cummins and Cat both did a study, both on, it was a four and a quarter B and it was a 400 big cam. To pull a van across the level highway with the wind not blowing, it required approximately 273 horsepower at 70 miles an hour. Wow. At 70. So it really doesn't matter how much horsepower you're making, it's how much your right foot is telling it to use right so whether you have 800 700 6 or 5 it's what your brain is telling the right foot to push and if you're going to run cruise control on rolling hills there is no fuel mileage so it's it's all in watching the boost gauge and pre-accelerating for the hill and uh, working the truck like a roller coaster and keeping the momentum going do we? Uh, does the horsepower and torque curve change? It gets moved up. Okay. So you know we keep it in the range of which the manufacturer says. You know. Got it. No, I meant from the on the efficiency model. Is it different than the performance model? They rate them at the same ones. Do they? So no, no, same. no big difference. Got it. All right. Does that help, Brad? Now, yes. Now I have another question. What is because I know I got the truck brand new, and the first thing I done was took it to my friend who works at Cummins, 
and he went through the ECM, set the mileage and all that good stuff on it. And he asked me if I wanted it in efficiency mode or performance mode. And I had it put into the performance mode. But what is the difference in the ECM between the performance mode and economy mode? So I think he's talking about what, like, base programs in there. Because there's two different CPLs for them. So, you know, you either have an efficiency series or a performance series of the Cummins X-15. But what they can Correct. do is it, it, it changes what horsepower. You can set it from 400 to 500 on the efficiency. So he may have changed the base horsepower. So, you know, a lot of them are set at 450 between 1650 and 1850 torque. So basically what base program did he put in there? Okay. And I think that would confuse uh, some people because when you're looking at a new one, you're either going to spec it as efficiency or you're going to spec it as performance, but now you've got a shop telling you we could change from efficiency to performance, yeah, but that's not true. No, and he may also have disabled some of the things I call like the babysitters, right. um, progress, progressive shift. Um, they call it gear down protection or driveline protection in the Cummins. Yeah. So those make a big difference. Okay. Um, but again, that's like a, a fleet option if your guy's going to hold the steering wheel and right. hold it down. Got it. What is, what is the babysitter when you are rolling into the throttle and it's only giving it so much? So there's a couple things. Like on the Series 60, it's smoke control. They don't want the engine to be able to smoke and they want the driver to be able to just sit in there and floor it and the ecm determine how much fuel to give you based on the boost okay got it all right yeah the only thing that i noticed different on mine is it doesn't neutral out going down hills no more okay so this is neutral out when it goes into a coast so this is an auto shift yes okay so that maybe he was talking about the transmission setting in there Okay, and uh, you just have any remote tuners in Tennessee? I do not have my map in front of me since we're all at in Bruce's office. It's right under Kevin's mug. <laughs> oh, boy. There it is right there. <laughs> I didn't see. even get any coffee stains on it either. See, I normally use the digital version. Everybody <laughs> goes with these paper things, you know, again here. It's old school. Yeah. That's my way. There you go. Yeah, bear with us here. But if you're curious, it is on our website under the dealer map. So, in case I don't okay. see and, it. Are, uh, you, are you running a max mileage catalyst in this new engine? That's, that's what I was getting ready to ask. I just started with with it, and I went through my first half gallon, and I actually went on yesterday and set up a subscription to get it regularly. Okay. How long should I wait? To get the ECM programmed, you can get it any time you want. But let me ask you a question: How many miles were on the engine when you started using the max mileage catalyst? Uh, somewhere right around four hundred ten thousand. Okay. After you go through a couple gallon, you may want to get into a DPF alternatives and get that DPF washed because. At a half a million mile, there's a lot of soot and carbon in that engine, and it's going to clean it, and it's going to wash it all out. But you know where it's going to end up, in that DPF. 
So I wish you would have started on day one, then you wouldn't have to worry about it. But uh, you'll you'll be okay. Just keep in mind if you start to see more regens, and if your DEF consumption increases, that means it's trying to get rid of that soot. Okay, yeah, I, and I've been changing the oil right around 25 to 35,000 miles okay. ever since I got the truck. But I don't it, know if that's helping it, it or not. Uh, but. That's, that's helping, but you still have the soot and carbon in the combustion chamber. Right. Then the next thing would be well, to get an OPS on that and start sampling. Yes, I'm. I'm actually working towards all these things. Ever since the uh, fuel prices has jumped up, I've been doing a lot of things to try to get better fuel mileage. Dropped the speed from seventy to sixty-three, and just trying to yeah. get better performance out of the truck. You know, for me to slow down when I'm pulling a trailer, I just have to leave the house earlier. If I leave an hour earlier, let's say it's Sunday afternoon and I want to go from Pittsburgh to Chicago and be there in the morning, instead of leaving at 4 o'clock, I'll leave at 3 o'clock, and then I just ease on down the highway, and it's amazing what that extra hour can do for you. Oh, it's definitely different. I mean, just slowing down. A lot of this freight that I haul, it's time-sensitive, but it's not. Like, they generally give you plenty of time. And just slowing down and relaxing is actually... It's not so bad. I think it's helping mentally as well. It makes for a much better day, that's for sure. And with uh, fuel prices north of $5 a gallon slowing down, I'm shocked at how many trucks are still flying down the roads at 75 miles an hour today. I'll tell you what I do. When I see 58 on the speedometer... To entertain myself, I say, that's a Kevin Rutherford speed. No, you would have been passing me. I was 57. It would have taken you a little bit, but you would have got past me. But anyway, for years it was 58. And every time I'm at 58, I said, that's the KR speed. But I'm never that slow. So There you go. All right, Brad, anything else we can help you with? I've got plenty of questions for you, but I'll call you back on a different day on those subjects, and I greatly appreciate you taking the time today. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. We'll look forward to hearing back from you. Let's go to Florida this time. Dan, welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going? Good. What's on your mind today? Thank you for taking my phone call. Uh, First of all, I just wanted to say I really enjoy the uh, new format. Um, I really, uh, really getting a lot more out of the show so thank good, you good for keeping everything going in, in what way are you um, getting wait I, one second what in what way are you getting more out i like that you guys can go a lot more in depth on an answer uh and kind of dig into a problem right um when instead of like hey we got a break we got to go you know yeah and kind of call her short you know and really kind of talk through a problem and kind of get to an end answer without you know trying to fit it into in between breaks you know those those commercials i like kind of like the long format good yeah good all right what's on your mind today uh so i was gonna wait until i had to know all the exact numbers in front of me uh but i was 
longer show today and call you in. So if I don't get an, a number exactly right, don't hold it against me too bad. Okay. But I bought a truck, a 2013 um, Cascadia with a DD13 in it. Um, with a blown DD13. Motor was bad. Um, I bought the truck for $5,000. Um, the kicker of that is, is a year ago, less than 100,000 miles, they put from an entire emission systems on this truck. And so from the exhaust manifold out, turbo all the way through to one box to the exhaust pipe. Mm-hmm. Um, they spent like $35,000 on this truck. Uh, and it, uh, I knew when they did it because it was my customer's truck. Uh, one of their company trucks. Um, so I knew that I got the service records and stuff on the truck. Um, and the driver ran the truck out of oil. Um, there was a seal in between the oil filter housing and the block that went bad. And the driver never opened the hood, never checked the oil, and ran the truck out of oil. Hey, Ethan, what happened to the uh, babysitters? Sounds like someone shut it off. But Uh-oh. <laughs> now, the thing is, it only works on oil pressure. Yeah, he... he it really? does, and he had to override like 30-something times. Oh, oh they do well, have that button. Well, that explains <laughs> it then. Now now it makes more sense because yeah. even at oil pressure, yeah. at some point you it's, would lose pressure before yes. you would lose an engine. And it shut yes. I mean, they're designed to shut right. down before you lose parts unless you keep hitting the Isn't override. It's amazing how people create their own problems. Oh, man. So let me tell you how bad it was. I pulled the oil. I got the truck towed down to my shop. I pulled the oil pan, pulled the oil pump and the sump and all that out. Pulled the bear, pulled the, the uh, uh, bolts out of the mains and the rods, and I couldn't get the caps off. Even wow. hitting it with a five-pound sledgehammer, they were welded to the crank. Wow. Uh, so, uh, wow. Uh, that's how bad. I mean, you, you can see the heat. You know, like when you get metal real hot, it gets that rainbow color. All the way through the bearing cap. Wow. Oh. That's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Motor's trashed. Yeah. Uh, when, I pulled, when I pulled the oil filter out, it sparkled with metal. Wow. Uh, oh, boy. I mean, just absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. the, the motor, best case scenario, and I don't even hold this out, is, is that the, is the block's okay? And I don't think it is. Um, it's at least warped at a minimum. And, uh, but... To fix this motor would be pulling the motor out, pulling the crank out, you know, $38,000, to fix this motor. But now, no, trade the, the it in. Is, trade the engine this, in this, on a remand. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Just get a remand engine if I want to fix the truck. So here, here's my here's my actual question. So I'm just giving you the setup here. Okay. Um, the, the Obviously, the motor's tracked. The truck only has 600,000 miles on the truck. And they went through, like I said, new one box, new everything. So it's worth more to me in parts, I I believe, than it is a truck. Um, I have another truck, actually the one I'm driving right now, which is a 13 Cascadia. Uh, truck's in great shape, but it has uh, 355s with a overdrive transmission. Um, real standard, you know, pretty much identical specs to that guy that called earlier. This truck that is blown up has two 64s, I think, with a direct drive transmission. And uh, so I'm thinking about changing the rears from that truck and putting them in this truck and get rid of the 355 rears. Uh, that truck also had all brand-new tires on it, too. Not tires that I would run, but it had brand-new tires. 
So I'm thinking about just parting that truck out um, and using the rears and the transmission for the, the operation I have. Now, here's my here's my question. No, no, stay with the overdrive. With the value tra- of stay with the overdrive transmission. Correct, and run it at night. And put put the two sixty four right. gears in it. Exactly what I was going to do is I was going to pull that. If I parked that truck out, I was going to pull the transmission, put it on a pallet and shrink wrap and shove it under my workbench. So if I ever get in a situation where I need another transmission, I have one. I wasn't going to change this transmission out unless I had to. Right. But I'm also looking at what the value of that truck would be fixed. And I can make a little bit of money on it uh, if I fix the truck. If I fix the truck, I can also put a driver in it. I, I believe I have the customer to put with that truck, but... I don't know. I'm thinking that you're right as far as you know, just going with a uh, with a completely you know remand motor from Detroit. If I fix that truck, well, here's truck's only got six hundred and sixty thousand miles. Here, here's the problem I'm seeing. You know, we're talking about these crazy high prices, but I think that party might be over too. Because I just pulled up. You said it was a 2013, right? Thirteen. Yeah, I just pulled up day cab. A day cab. Okay. Uh, day cab. They actually sometimes hold their price a little better. I'm not seeing any day cabs in this look, list. I, I could I could go back and look. But just to give you an idea, um, I can find a bunch of 2013 Cascadias under 50000 Right. And so, I'm, I'm thinking best case scenario, I'm at 40 to put a motor in there. It's going to be closer to 50. Yeah, that's what I mean. By the time you put 50 into it with what you've already paid for at the time, all the other stuff, and by the time you get it done, I have a feeling truck prices are going to be even lower. I don't think there's any money to be made in trying to put an engine in this truck. Unless you can find a good used one somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you could do a used motor. Yeah, that was my other option. That That's a, a possibility, and then, you know, again, you'd have to look at the numbers. But, um, you know, I, I'm finding them in here for, you know, 40-some thousand. Here's one, uh, here's one with 812,000 miles on it for 42,000. Yeah, so I'm better off just parting that truck out. I think taking so. Taking the rears, taking the one box, and strapping the rest of the truck. I, I think the motor's so. worth, like I said, I don't even think the block is worth anything. No. You know, as right. bad as the damage was on it, uh, you know, I was kind of hoping that I'd get into it and, you know, be able to do some rods and mains and, you know, something simple. But after I figured out how many times he hit that override, it was... That, that thing's done. I mean, I wouldn't even trust any, See, any parts off. Anything that oil so, system touched, I wouldn't trust on that motor. So they need to install one more babysitter in these trucks, I guess, and that's somebody sitting in the passenger seat <laughs> whacking you in the hand when you reach over for that override button. Make sure they use a dipstick. So yeah, something. Stop. Stop. Yeah, stop that. Holy cow. The, the one box got a lot well, of value. You know, it should, should it? To sell the one box, and it, it should be yeah, a that, quick that, sell. That's why I bought it. There isn't I, enough I, of them out there. Well, yeah, I'm actually, I think I'm... Well, I got two. I got this truck here, which has eight hundred ninety-seven thousand miles on it, and I bought it when I had six hundred and fifty, um, and it's still the original one box. Um, and so I'm just waiting, kind of, for this one to crap out on me, and that's why I'm thinking if I had that one, they're the same year model, they're the same part number on the one box, and you know, I figure if I just have it sitting there, ready to go, you know, that'll save you nine grand. 
Oh yeah, plus install. By the time we're yeah. done with it, it they're about thirteen thousand with the new sensors. By the time every, every once in a while one breaks coming out, they called in. If you can even get a one box, yeah, and without a three to six month if wait at the get, moment. Yeah. So that right, and that, now that one box there with the it's got filters in it and everything that cool. have. I, I think they only got sixty or seventy thousand miles on the entire emission system on that truck, cooler and everything. Yeah. I mean, from exhaust manifold out, the tailpipe was brand new, less than a year ago. Plus your three fifty fives that you're going to take out of your current truck will work too. You can sell those. Well, just to just to right. give you an idea, um, I just found I went back and looked at day cabs instead. Uh, I just found a day cab with 681,000 miles on it for 32,000. All right, so uh, yeah, that, that, there's the numbers right there. It doesn't right. make sense to put more than the truck is worth, and, and, to, yep. and especially as valuable of the, as the parts are to me, I, you know, I, I think that would definitely be the, the better option. I think um, so. Let, let, me ask you, let me ask you one thing on the rears. Um, they're both the same manufacturer on the rears. They're both 11 millimeter axles. Um, they're just the different gear ratios. Do I have, I, I can get away with just changing the, well, why are you stopping? Um, I can get away with just changing the gear set in the front of the axle, right? Cause I, yes, I don't have to change the entire axle. No, correct? no, just the pumpkin. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. Cause I could do that fairly easy. Um, and then, like I said, I got another three, like you said, three fifty, a set of three fifty fives, and another set of housings, eleven millimeter housings, that I can re- probably right there would be enough for me to recoup my investment yeah. in the truck as it is. Yeah, I think so. so. But all right, well, I appreciate it, and I and I appreciate you guys talking through this problem. I just I just needed to be thoroughly convinced. It just it pains me to start cutting apart a truck with 600,000 miles on it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but boy, so just, just think of uh, just think of what that one driver just cost somebody. Yeah. Just, it, that's incredible. Oh, I mean, exactly. th- th- this truck could have been around for another 10 years. This truck could have provided somebody an awful right. lot of value, and now you're just all you can get out of it are parts. And you're right. That's, that's hard to just start cutting up a truck for parts like this. But, you know, financially, it's the only right. thing that makes sense. Is it the same interior as yours, uh, same it, color? Well, it's a day cab, and, and this truck, it, yes, it's the same dash and everything, but it's just a day cab instead of a 70-inch condo. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, yeah other than the driver's seat's kind of worn out, but the rest of the truck is actually it, in very good, very, very good shape. It's a very clean truck. And, uh, and with all the oil that got dumped on it, too, it's very well preserved underneath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Pete brought up something uh, that, that makes sense for all parts right now. Having a parts truck sitting around is pretty damn valuable because we just can't get parts. Oh, yeah. And I, like I, said, I got a hood sitting there. I got a bumper. Yeah. I got, you know, headlight. I, I got, I mean, I'm not opposed to having it around until um, I've had a couple of trucks like that. Um, I mean, I ran 11 one liters for years, and I had a couple 11 one liters sitting around for, you know, until just recently, you know, I got rid of them. But, uh, yeah. you know, that it, yeah, I, I don't, I don't necessarily, it's just, like I said, the 600,000 miles just pains me I know, to I cut know. that truck apart, you know, know. And, that, and, and, and 
out of it after seeing, you know, how many times he hit the over, let's just say after I went back to my customer and I showed him the data and what was wrong with the truck, that guy does not have a job there anymore. I, yeah, good. Yeah, uh, hope so. Yeah. Yeah, not only do those engines have babysitters, they have tattletales, too. That guy guy should be delivering U.S. mail in the city on his feet. There you go. Right. Right. You know, I think he realized that he screwed up and was just trying to get the truck back to go, I don't know what happened, you Uh, know? Yeah. Yeah. And you could tell, because the day he left, you you could follow the trail of oil from where the truck was parked all the way out the gate, not on the road. So how did how did we lose all the oil? Oh, it had been leaking. Yeah, had a leak. Uh, it was leaking. There was a gasket in between, so where the oil filter housing is, and where it bolts onto the block. Oh. there's a metal gasket. And I've had to go bad on this you, truck, and it's not that big a deal to change it. But you but could it had been lose. leaking yeah. long enough for him to pump ten gallons of oil through that through that metal gasket. That's a lot. Yeah, so, and it, which is well, yeah, and if you don't check the oil for a couple of weeks, there yep. you go. There you go. So, yep. All right. It's just a I, shame. So it is. But I appreciate it, and thank you, and uh, and, and keep it up. I like the show, and uh, hopefully, I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks for the call. You know, guys, that just got me thinking about something. Human nature. You know, forever and ever and ever, as long as we can remember, diesel engines all used oil. They all used oil. You knew it. it 10,000 miles is roughly average. You're going to put in a gallon. You get in the habit of checking the oil and adding some. These new engines just don't ever use any oil anymore. So we're going to have drivers who check the oil for a while and then go, why am I doing this? It's never low. Mm -hmm. And then get lazy about it. And I think we may see more stuff like this because they just, you know, you check it enough times to go, why, why do I keep doing this? It's always right where it should be. Yeah. Not and checking, stop. Not checking gauges. There's an oil pressure gauge on almost every truck I've ever jumped in on. So on a new truck, let's say we were a gallon low. Would you notice it in oil pressure? I didn't think so. Two no. gallons low? No, you'd have to Still have... Still not. You'd have to have at least 50 or 60% of the oil That's missing. what I thought. And at that point, we're already doing damage. Until it starts to aerate the oil, you're yeah. not going to notice or run out okay. of pressure oil to actually pump through the system and keep pressure so by the time somebody notices their oil pressure has dropped we've we've probably got problems some sort of damage has occurred yeah um, to what extent sometimes i've noticed where people get really lucky and they'll pump out all the oil and there's not a no speck damage. of damage no damage. other times they run it for that 30 seconds before the truck shuts off and the engine's gone yeah we uh we lost a mechanical cat that way and I couldn't really blame it on anybody because it was one of my brothers who did the oil change and didn't tighten up the plug. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that uh, is a common problem: oil filters not being tight. Yeah, if you take your truck to other places to have the oil change, you should carry a filter wrench, and before you drive it away, okay. you should just snug the filter a little bit good point and also checking the drain plug doesn't hurt either and pulling out the dipstick to make sure they put oil in there you go good point uh all right we've got one more call on the line and if you uh want to jump in while we're taking this call we said we'll stay as long as we have calls mike in florida welcome to the program hi guys thanks for taking my call what's on your mind today uh, I'm a hot shotter, been in business about three years, and um, 
got a little customer base going and kind of need to move to a step deck in a class A. Um, so I'm all about fuel mileage and been listening to you guys about a year and a half and um, would like to move to a single axle. Need some advice on what I should be looking for. Well, um, I'll tell you what I've always done because I use single axles for years. And uh, like I was mentioning on the le- that call where we were talking about the uh, truck pricing, typically single axle tractors have held their value in the market because it's a supply and demand issue and there aren't that many single axles. They're usually harder to find. You don't have nearly as many options and you end up paying more. So for years and years, I would just shop for a tandem. And you have many, many more options. And then I had a deal with uh, my local shop. They would do the conversion. They actually did a couple of them for me free. And then there were a couple they charged me a little bit. And when I bought the truck, I always had time. I, I didn't try to rush and put it into service. So the deal was they could take the truck. They would convert it to a single axle. I was in no hurry, so they could work on it when somebody had some spare time. And they got all the parts, wheels, tires, differentials, springs, everything that had to come out of there, power divider. They got it all, uh, and I got a single axle back. So you might want to explore that option because it gives you way more trucks to choose from on the market. Right. I understand that. Um, <laughs> Have you started shopping uh, for single axles yet? I, I've been looking around a little bit. I, I've I found one. Okay. But I think that the engine rear end combination is totally wrong for what I'm looking at. And um, I don't know if we can change the rear ratio on this truck, if, it, uh, if that would even... What is it? Accommodate what I need to do. It's a, it's an 05 Pete, um, 335 series, but it only has a 8.3 Cummins in it. Oh, wait a minute. Oh. This isn't, this isn't class eight then. You're not looking at a class eight there. It, it's, I know I, I, I Googled the 335s and they all look like straight trucks, but this is an actual tractor. Yeah. I no, know. It, it, uh, it's a tractor, but that's a class seven. But the 8.3 engine was at 300 horsepower. We can take it up to 420. But you want to pull, are you going to pull a tandem drop deck or a triaxle drop deck? Tandem. Tandem. Uh, and I'm only looking to be able to pull up to about 35K. You know, I, I'm yeah. not. I'm going to tell you, stay away I'm from looking that. looking at super heavy load. Yeah. I, okay. I, I would go M11. Uh, C12. Yeah, C12. If you could find something with a C12 or the um, D-Deck 4 Detroit 12.7 or 11.1. But uh, the 8.3 is just too small for what you want to do. How much did they want for this truck and how many miles are on it? Uh, They wanted 42. It's The motor's been rebuilt at a peak dealer. 43,000 miles ago. How many miles are on the truck? Uh, 560. There's a big problem. 
why did we have to do an in-frame on a truck at 500,000 miles? Because that engine just doesn't last well, nearly as long. People worked the dog snot out of it, right. and they overloaded it. You right. know, and they drove it with their foot flat in the floor. That's why you don't yeah. buy a small engine. Yeah, I, I would stay away from this. I, I was just looking at, like I said, 2013 Cascadias with... Um, you know the the a good solid Detroit engine with all kinds of horsepower, and I was looking at single axles for that same price in the forty thousand range. Buy a buy a larger engine, and you don't have to have your foot into it. And and with if you're pulling light, a true class eight with a you know twelve or thirteen liter or bigger will last forever doing that job. All right. Um, well, I was kind of wanting to stay pre-emissions because i've listened to you guys for a while yeah there's a lot of we don't have emissions we don't have emission problems anymore uh bring it in or go to anybody else a dpf alternative and get the emissions gone through and run the max mileage catalyst in there you won't have any problems what year was that 8.3 uh oh five that's not pre-emission. Right. That's got EGR. Yeah, that's EGR. That's an emission engine. Oh, okay. I didn't. Did they still have the 8.3 then? Yeah, and the, the, the biggest issue with that one is the EGR coolers. There's like three or four different ones they put on them. Oh, really? And Yeah, it, it comes a nightmare when they go bad, even though they're up top. Finding the right one. Oh, Because we've done a few of them here, and then they send you a kit, and... Oh, it can get. Uh, yeah, stay away from that truck. <laughs> that one, there's nothing about that truck you want. That'd be a good RV hauler. So, what year truck should I be looking at? A 13? Well, if you want true pre-emission, if, if that's your concern, you want true pre-emission, you got to go back to 03 or older. Yeah. If I were you, I'd be looking for an 012 or newer. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's that that, that decade between '03 and about 2012 or so that, you know, yeah. we can make a run better, but you're better off either going earlier or later. Yeah. And if, and if you were willing to spend, you know, 40-some thousand, like I said, I was just looking at single-axle sleepers and day cabs at that same price that had six or seven hundred thousand miles on them and with what you're doing they'll probably go to 1.4 without a problem okay and engine wise i hear you talk about the 60 series detroit's a lot for fuel mileage well again if you're going older you'll be at a 60 series if you're going newer you're going to be the the 60 series won't be an option but the new detroit's are even better Okay, and you said a 12.7 and a... 12.7 C12 Cat, M11 Cummins. I wouldn't even be afraid of a DD13 in this case. DD13, I think, would be an awesome engine. It's a little bit smaller. You don't get the 15 liter, but it'll do everything you need and plenty of power. I'd like a DD13. So if you could find a 2012, 2013... Detroit or Western Star with the DD13 be a great truck for what you're doing. Okay. You have any recommendations on shops anywhere near the Panhandle of Florida that could help me out with singling one out? Uh, the place that always did mine is in Orlando, if you're willing to drive down to Orlando. And for a job oh, yeah. like that, why not? 
you know, give them time, give them right. three weeks or whatever so that they're not rushed on it, and then they'll give you a better price. And uh, same guy still owns it, John Douglas. It's uh, Action Mobile. They're down off of uh, Orange Blossom Trail on the south side of Orlando, and he did several of mine. How about Ty, Texas? How close are you to Ty? Um, I'm not sure where Ty is, but I'm nine hours from Houston. I think Ty, I can tell you where it's near. Um, it's over by, what's the interstate if you're leaving Dallas and it's goes slightly northwest? What interstate's that? 40? Or, no. no, no I'm sorry. I think it goes over through Amarillo. Through. Right. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. I'm not sure what the number is, but. It's an interstate? Yeah. Yeah. The only interstate that goes through Amarillo is 40, isn't it? I mean, I'll tell you here in a second. No, he's talking about between Dallas and Oh, between and Dallas and Amarillo. I don't, inter- I don't think it's an interstate. It's four lane. But it's not. It's 20. 20. I know between... Uh, it's Abilene, I'm sorry, Abilene. Oh, that makes more sense. I was going to say, between... Uh, okay, yeah. That's... So you're not that far from Abilene. <laughs> yeah, it's about 12 hours from here. Yeah. Check check Action Mobile down in Orlando. You're saying it's 12 hours okay. from the Panhandle of Florida to Abilene? No, it's got to be more than that. No, nah, it can't be that much. What? It is. It's quite a ways. I actually used to live it's there a, when I was in the airport. <laughs> wow. I'm wondering yeah. how you can make it 12 hours. From there to there? Right. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah. It, it, it's been 30 years since I drove that when I was back in active duty. So. Yeah. No highways. Yeah, that's yeah. a long time. I'd start there in Orlando. Like I said, it's a great independent shop. I used them for years. Yeah, it's only seven hours, so that's, that's easily done. Yeah. Yep. So what year DD-13 am I looking for? Uh, 12 or newer. Just 12 or newer? Yep. And what chassis would you recommend? Uh, you don't have a whole lot of options with the DD. You can, you've can you got Freightliner products and Western Star. It's the only two trucks you can get it in. So whatever you okay. whatever you like, whatever you can find. If you're gonna, if like I said, if you're doing a tandem axle sleeper, you'll have tons and tons and tons of options. If you're looking for a single axle, it's going to cut it way down. If you're looking for a day cab, it would cut it way down. Right. So that's why I would always just shop for a tandem axle sleeper and then convert it myself. Right. So so what rear gear should I mean? If there's that many choices out there. So they don't have to change the gears in the rear. What, well, what we for, for what you're doing, just about any gear is going to be fine. I mean, most of them are going to be specced for reasonably good fuel mileage. You're not going to kind of you're not going to find the stuff we talk about running in direct with a single overdrive. Back in 12 and 13, nobody was specking trucks that way, so they're they're hard to find. So, it, but for for you. You know, I could easily build this truck to be a nine mile per gallon truck for what you're doing without even messing with the gears. 
If you, you just get middle of the road gears, you'll be fine. Yeah. That, that's what I want to do because that's what I'm used to. Good fuel mileage. Yeah. Yeah. You, <laughs> My business, business model is kind of based on that. Yeah. You know, a lot of times I was able to get much better fuel economy out of something like this than you could out of the pickup trucks that everybody else was trying to run. Oh, it's going to get better than the 8.3 would. Yeah. Like that, yeah. I wouldn't even hesitate to yep. say it is because those 8.3s, they Horrible. didn't get good fuel mileage. No, they struggled. And if you tried to pull that kind of weight with them, they really struggled. I don't think they rated them above 350 horsepower. No. They, they, and, it, and it felt like a weak 352. A lot of them were 300, 330s. Yeah. yeah. Does that help? Well, the, the killer was it's got, a, it's got a 456 gear in it, so that kind of tells uh, you they were ringing well, that motor that, out. That, yeah. yeah, that's exactly what they have to do. They don't have enough power, so they try to make up the gearing. Right, and that's why they had to end frame it. Yep. So. There you go. Sure. Well, that, that, should, uh, that should give you a good place to start. We're going to go to Pennsylvania. Gene, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, gentlemen. What's hey, on your uh, mind today? I have a O one. Well, I got an O one Volvo here with a twelve seven Detroit. I'm starting to get used to getting away from my Cummins. I recently just put the the manifold and a turbo on, addition on with my full flow muffler and the fleet air filter. My fuel mileage is just stepping way through. <laughs> I'm up to nine point eight miles a gallon right now in the engine. Now I know it reads high, but it's usually about a half a gallon high. Uh, well, that's pretty Putting impressive. Out. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I was wondering, do I even want to go to put the tune in it? Well, I'm, I know I do want to, but... What's it make for yeah, turbo boost now on a hard pull? On a hard pull, I can get right about 30. All right, that's, 20, 29, 30 pounds. That's a true 500. Yep. And what kind of weight are you pulling? Yeah, the program, um, I'm usually pretty light, around 20,000 pounds. Okay. Well, if we do put a program in, we'll put, do the 500 to the ground, which is 588 flywheel. And you know that 30 pound of boost is um, 500 horsepower. It'll probably make 35 to 36 pounds. But you just drive it with your foot, and you don't have to be flat on the floor. And the tune may help you in that way. Yeah, and one other And little- also, I put... I put- Go ahead. Yeah, one other little thing is, too, if you tell us when we do that, I can adjust your dash to be closer. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things that nobody ever mentions, but it's kind of like a guessing game. It's a a, a really big, long number, but you can, making the number bigger will make the dash smaller, so you're telling it it consumed more fuel. Got it. And then if you make it lower, it makes it higher. So if somebody were tracking their fuel mileage by miles and gallons and showed that to you, could you would that help even more? Yes. Yeah, so that's okay. how I've done it in the past, actually, is some of our customers, well, I want it to be closer. And once we get it to about a tenth or two, then they're perfectly happy <laughs> with it. That's really good, yeah. Um, yep. So, yeah, we can dial that in, but it normally takes a try or two. Right, and I have everything programmed into the fuel gauges, so I use it on all my trucks. Good, good. Uh, the, the other question I had, whenever I bought the pyrometer uh, and put on with it, my old pyrometer was bad. That was uh, It was in the, da- the Volvo system. I've got the live gauge now on the dash, but it's put in after the turbo. It's not in the manifold. You can always, Where should I be looking? You, you, why don't you, on that manifold, you can drill it right in front of number four cylinder. There's a boss 
in the cast iron there. It's a 7 sixteenths drill bit, quarter-inch pipe tap, and put it in, and you get a true reading that way. Yeah, we were going to do that. I was pressed for time because I just, well, I picked, I had my wife come down and pick that stuff there for on Friday, and uh, my guys did it on Saturday, and I took back out with it. I, okay. On Monday morning, I had some things I was doing Monday. So, so 900 Monday. to 1,000 is your yeah. cutoff. Okay. I would know where to set that in there. I was also thinking about putting uh, bigger gears in this. It's got 373s in it right now. Yeah, put 264s uh, in it. Two sixty four. Yep. And then run it in uh run it in eleventh, which is the direct. It's it's a double overdrive transmission. No, it's at a thirteen speed. It is. So you'll run it in tenth. Eleventh. I'm sorry, eleventh. That's 11th. right. Yeah. What was I thinking? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, run most of the time in eleventh. When you're in a hurry, you can run in twelfth. And when the cops are chasing you and you don't want to <laughs> stop, you can run in thirteenth. That's right. Right on. You got all kinds so, of yeah, options. Yeah, it's been pretty impressive on this first run out with, uh, with the new turbo and the manifold at the same time. Isn't that incredible what uh, that can do when you let an engine breathe? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I haven't even touched the gears on it. I thought with these 373s, I wasn't going to get anywhere near where I'm getting right now. And it's, uh, it's pr- pretty impressive, let me tell you. What RPM are you cruising at? I'm at uh, fifteen hundred RPM right now, and I'm holding sixty-six mile an hour. Yeah, just just for the fun of it, one time run around for a week at sixty and watch what happens to your fuel economy. Oh, I do. I go through Chicago a couple times a week now, and it seems like when I go through Chicago, I'm running that lower. Everything's moving, but we're being continuous. And my fuel mileage, I'll gain a, a full mile per gallon when I go through Chicago. Yeah, wow, that's about slow. that's about what I'd figure. Yep. A mile per gallon in today's world is uh, $10,000 a year in fuel cost. $10,000. Yeah. Yep. All right. Anything else we can help you with? Uh, no, sir. That's my, oh, did you, uh, have you read through that book yet that I gave you? Oh, I have. The electronics. I've, I've skimmed, but skimming isn't working. I, uh... I need to just sit down and and start reading it from start to finish till I understand it. But as uh, soon as I get yeah, through all these... It's pretty intensive. It, it is. Um, especially when you're totally self-taught with plug this in, see if it works, plug that in. Oh, just popped a breaker. That must not be right. That's uh, That's been my right. electrical training, so I need to go back to the beginning and start over. So as soon as I get through all these technical issues, I should have time. Well, that'll, that'll give you a good foundation then for there more you. understanding of how uh, how the electricity works. There you go. Perfect. All right. All right, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank you for all you do, and you all have a great day. All right. Great talking to you. That's going to wrap it up for today. Anybody have anything we want to end with? Well, I'm surprised he's getting that kind of fuel mileage with the gear ratio. That's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. He's doing yeah, a good job is. driving. Yeah. Well, you know. It's just not lugging, and it's running free. Yeah. So it's and not the RPM. It's how far the foot is pushing and how many pound of boost it's taking to get the job done. You know, the last Volvo I had, almost identical. He said that was an 01. I had a 99. Um, now I put everything on it for fuel economy, everything we talk about. We had the tune in it, mm-hmm. which was really nice. Um, at 
40,000 pounds gross. I mean, that's that's gross weight. There were days I could push 13, and I had 390s, but I was running 60. Yeah. And at 60, that thing just got excellent fuel economy. It's hard to beat. Mm-hmm. And when, they, when they're that light, the fuel economy goes way up on that engine. Really nice. Okay. Anything else? That's all I have. I think we're going to wrap this up for the day. Uh, thanks to everybody that has joined us. We will see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.